everyone and welcome back to the Apogee. I'm Kanika Saini and with me, like always, I have Yugam Desai and we'll be your hosts on this podcast series. All right, so today we'll be talking about debt crises. What are they? Why do they happen? What are their impacts? And the most important question of all, are we in one right now? Before we dive in, it's time to go back for a history lesson. It's the summer of 1944 in Bretton Woods, New Hampshire. We're in the middle of World War II, and you're attending a meeting between 730 delegates from 44 allied nations around the world. So what's all the fuss about? Well, the Bretton Woods Conference was held to create a new system of rules, regulations, and procedures for the major economies of the world to ensure their economic stability. It was in this conference that the International Monetary Fund, or the IMF, and the World Bank were created. See, the problem was that by the end of World War II, the USA had around 70% of the world's gold reserves. So it just didn't make any sense for other countries to back their currencies with gold, right? So they decided instead that rather than being backed by gold, that their currencies would be pegged to the US dollar, and then the US dollar would remain backed by gold. So between 1944 and 1971, the USA had huge deficits because it was funding all these big projects by increasing the supply of dollars in the economy. And because of that, their gold reserves were shrinking pretty fast. What happened then is that the then president, Richard Nixon, abolished the gold standard in August 1971. What that meant is from then on, the world's currencies were floating with no one currency having a fixed value. And this gave rise to foreign exchange markets or Forex. Since the end of the gold standard, there's been a worrying and increasing lack of discipline when it comes to government spending. Before 1971, there was a natural limit to how much money could be printed. New issuances were dependent on the amount of gold sitting in the reserves. Today, the dollar is backed by the faith in and credit of the U.S. government, and as a result, the federal debt is closing in on an astronomical $28 trillion, which is more than 130% of the size of the U.S. economy. To a lot of people, there's this notion that governments and the countries behind them are infallible, especially those with larger economies. The level of worldwide debt is currently at the highest it's ever been, and that brings us to the topic of debt crises. Okay, so what is a debt crisis? A debt crisis basically happens when creditors think that borrowers will default on their debts. So basically, the creditor thinks that the borrower has taken on way more debt than they can manage and that they can pay back. There are three main types that we'll take a look at today. There is household debt crisis, corporate debt crisis, and sovereign debt crisis, with the sovereign debt crisis having pretty different repercussions than the other two, and also being more serious. A sovereign debt crisis can be triggered for so many reasons. Uh, For example, highly indebted lower income countries, so countries that have a lot of debt already that don't make as much revenues and that have lower GDP or countries that are experiencing war and recessions might experience a debt crisis. A country can also enter into a debt crisis when their tax revenues that the government earns is not enough to finance how much it's spending, right? So when tax revenues are insufficient, the government can make up the difference by issuing debt and they do that by selling government treasury bills and open market to investors. So a government with a good reputation that already has very little debt to begin with or that has a strong track record of paying back what it borrowed doesn't really have a hard time finding investors to lend it money. 
And that's the same thing with you and I, right? If I'm somebody who is trustworthy, who pays back my loans or any credit that I took in full and on time, then people or banks or whoever else will be more willing to lend money to me, right? So what happens is if the debt load, however, of a government becomes too big, you know, if they've taken way too much on, investors start to worry about the country's ability to repay. And they start demanding higher interest rates because they want to feel compensated for the higher risk that they're taking. And this results in an increase in the cost of borrowing for that government. What that means is they have to pay higher servicing costs on that debt that they have, meaning they have to pay higher interest payments, for example. And as investor confidence gets worse or deteriorates even more, it pushes the cost of borrowing to higher levels. And sometimes the government might find it more and more difficult to service and to roll over its existing debt. And that is what leads to default and eventually into a debt crisis. We did quite a bit of research and saw countless videos about debt crises and how to identify them and what their effects are. There are several indicators which can point towards a coming debt crisis. But if you zoom out and take a big picture view, there are five standard indicators of a coming debt crisis. These are falling economic output, large debt buildup, rising household leverage, asset inflation, and current account deficit. First is falling economic output. Last year, the GDP lost an estimated 5.5%, which equates to around a $100 billion loss. And yes, it was caused by COVID, but it doesn't really matter what the reason is. Although the government stimulus packages have helped a stronger labor market recovery than, for example, in the States, unemployment was five times higher in January than what the Canadian government expected it to be. Depending on the speed of the vaccine rollout, the economy may see a 4.5% recovery at best, with a full recovery to pre-COVID levels likely only in and after 2022. Next is large debt buildup. The amount of debt that a country can shoulder depends on the amount of income it produces or earns. The means of payment is GDP. Total debt went from $6.1 to $8.5 trillion from 2015, representing about a 40% increase and GDP in the same time grew only 13%. This means we're, we're spending a lot more than we're earning, and, and this, this discrepancy is only increasing over time. The debt-to-GDP ratio is about 387%, twice the size of the typical ratio in the last 60 years in Canada. When Greece had its sovereign debt crisis about a decade ago, its debt-to-GDP ratio was only 330%. In USA, it was 375% when it had the housing crisis. Now, the composition of debt includes government, corporate, and household debt. And for the first time on record, gross debt on all levels of government is larger than GDP. I think the number was around 100.3%. Next is rising household leverage. Canada has the highest level of household debt to income in the G7. Before COVID, it was 99% where the Bank of International Settlements, or the BIS, threshold is 87%. Households carry more debt than the economy. In fact, Canadian households owed an average of $1.71 for every dollar of disposable income in the third quarter of 2019, according to Statistics Canada. In other words, household debt as a percentage of disposable income rose to 170.7% in the third quarter. Next is asset inflation. Assets are worth 17 times the size of the economy. The historical average is only about 12 times. Assets can only be purchased out of the income that's generated. 
So in general, you have two, you could split that into two types, financial and real estate assets. Taking a look at financial, the S&P market value never exceeded the size of the economy, as in it was always smaller than GDP. But in the last year, it's now worth 120% of GDP. And this is concerning because companies get their profits from the economy. And so the prices that they're at right now can't be supported for forever. And then next we have real estate prices, about $65,000 on average increase in household prices. And this is at a time when the economy lost $100 billion of economic output. I mean, inflation in our assets alone is worth more than the economy. Finally, we have large current account deficit. To state it simply, it's basically the amount you buy in excess of what you sell. And right now we buy a heck of a lot more than what we sell from the world. And actually the current account deficit is sitting at around 300 billion over the last five years. And we borrowed to make up the difference, which is now I think the second largest in the G7. Now this debt hasn't been used for investments in productive assets like factories or patents. Rather, it's been mostly used for immediate consumption. And at some point, the lenders of the world will want to be paid back. And the only way to pay them back is to generate a powerful income, which is done through increasing GDP. See, it's clear to see that Canada and many other countries are in a vulnerable position right now, and they could face a debt crisis in the not-too-distant future, especially if things continue to go unchecked. A debt crisis in any country can, and it usually does, create economic burden on other countries. And this can happen in so many ways. For example, uh, other countries might tighten their financial conditions. For example, they might start demanding higher interest rates. Trade might slow down. Economic growth might face a downturn. Or maybe investors will just be less inclined to invest in that country because they're less confident in its ability to pay back. This is especially the case if the country is big and if it's strongly linked to the global economy. And this kind of takes us back to our episode on sci-fi and economic trade. We spoke about how big companies or when there's an entity that's really linked to the economy, that they can actually have a really negative impact on not just the national, but also the global economy. So we were reading an opinion piece from the Financial Post earlier today. And I just want to mention some of the key points that we saw that we would like to elaborate on a little bit and uh, that we've already touched on in this episode. So word for word. On the broadest measure of investment, looking at construction, machinery, equipment, and intellectual property, the Trudeau government presided over an average annual decline of 0.2% in the four years, so 2016 to 2019, leading up to the 2020 recession. An analysis in 2019 of business investment in Canada between 2014 and 2017 found that 10 of Canada's 15 main industries experienced declines in business investment. So this is huge, right? Business investment has been on a decline for a while now, and a lot of people have a lot to say about it. In 2018, David McKay, who is the CEO of the Royal Bank of Canada, said that Canada has a critical competitiveness challenge, and it should be addressed with tremendous urgency. He also added that capital was leaving the country in real time. Brian Porter of Scotiabank reiterated the same exact thing. And David Dodge, who is the former governor of the Bank of Canada, said that Canada was shooting itself in the foot in terms of competitiveness. And finally, Steve Williams, who is, who was the then CEO of Suncor, indicated his company was reducing investment in Canada because of the regulatory system and general lack of competitiveness. 
Honestly, judging by the way that things look right now, it's absolutely possible that Canada could face serious issues in the coming years, especially depending on how the political system tackles big issues like competitiveness, attracting foreign investment, reducing debt, and increasing investment in productive assets. Going back to the gold standard is no longer feasible. I mean, there's just not enough gold to support an economy as large as the U.S. Not unless the price of gold was fixed at something ridiculous like $100,000 an ounce. There's been some discussion of making Bitcoin a reserve currency, uh, because like gold, its supply is limited and it has the potential to scale up. But in my opinion, cryptos are far too volatile right now. And I mean, in terms of widespread adoption, we have seen big companies like Tesla and PayPal you know, adopting this currency, but it's just far too volatile to be considered using as a, as a currency at, at this point in time. Uh, and for those of you who, who aren't too familiar with crypto, um, we do have an episode about crypto and its future in our economy coming up next week. So make sure you tune into that. I want to know what you guys think. Are we in the midst of a coming debt crisis? How will countries keep their debt in check and what steps can be taken to pay them off? Will we see large tax hikes in the coming future? Or will we finally begin to invest in productive assets in our own country? Reach out to us on our Instagram page and let us know what you think. Like always, see you all next time.